Welcome to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. Every podcast that comes out from Build a Bigger Life will be impactful and can change your life if and will you take action on on uh, what you're hearing. You're about to hear how someone chose life over lifestyle. Someone doing more of what they love and less of what they don't. Someone creating a life of fulfillment and purpose. No more BS or excuses. I'm going to have the life that I want to have. I love the people that have come into my life this year just out of the sheer intention of being open. Or you're just getting to know Adam. Just know this is what he bleeds. This is what he lives. His kids can preach this message. You're in the right place if you want to build a bigger life. Here's your host, Adam Carroll. Hey, Life Architects, it's Adam Carroll here with another episode of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. On the show with me today is Leslie Tain. She is a highly respected consumer and business debt-related attorney and advisor, and she's the founder of the Tain Law Group, uh, which is one of the few in New York State that concentrates solely on debt resolution and alternatives to filing bankruptcy for consumers, small business owners, and professionals. And I'm really excited about this interview because her book is entitled Learn to Love Your Debt. It's Life and Debt, A Fresh Approach to Achieving Financial Wellness. So Leslie, I think you and I probably have similar interests in this. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I asked the same question of everyone at the start of the show. It is, what do you love about your life right now? Oh, um, actually, I am very, very happy in my life. And what I love the most about it uh, is the flexibility and the freedom that I have. Um, I love my business. Uh, my kids are getting a little older. They're in their late teens. We're looking at colleges. Um, the, you know, there's so many pieces of it. I don't know that I could name one thing, but I, I do love the flexibility and freedom that I have and the knowledge that I gained, especially financially, over the last uh, 15 years to 20 years. So I have to ask because it's odd for, uh, or, or at least from my perspective, might be odd for an attorney to go after the line of work that you did, but what drew you to the line of work that you're in as an attorney? Well, I, I can't say in the beginning that I was drawn to this particular area because in law school you can't really specialize and it wasn't an area that I was really introduced to. I mean, there, were, there was a class on creditor and debtor rights, but the, there was really no area like this. And I think that's one of the things I love about my career and profession is that there's opportunities to create great places. But for me, the, the draw came a little bit later once I was already doing this kind of work. The interest in uh, my background is really uh, all public service. So when I was in law school, I spent a lot of time helping and working in different public service areas. I worked for the district attorney, the county attorney, and I was really interested in focusing my career at the time on helping people. So when I took a position as an in-house counsel, which was the start of this particular career path, um, it was. It seemed like it was very different than what I had started out doing, but in the end, the same goal and desire to help people and to make a difference in people's lives really was the forefront of, of where my career took me to. So mm. it's about debt and helping people financially, but uh, from that arena, I'm still really focused on the, the, the client experience and, and getting people to a better place. Yeah, and getting them to a better place financially um, I have to imagine you've seen all sorts of cases come across your desk. 
I have seen all sorts of financial messes for sure, and some are bigger messes than others, but I have seen a lot of different, very interesting financial situations. Give me one that surprised you in the last several years. I can't say that it's one that surprised me. I tell people there's really, you can't throw me a curveball, but you can <laughs> certainly, uh, one that I can't hit at least, but there, there are interesting situations where people uh, continue to make decisions about what is a necessary expense and what is a what is a discretionary expense. So the one thing that I see that is interesting is when people tell me how necessary certain expenses are when they are complete discretionary expenditures. So sometimes those are what shocks me the most is getting into people's heads and understanding why, you know, a lingerie store would be a necessity and you have <laughs> to keep that credit card. That's not a necessity? I, I guess I'm missing that. Yeah, I, do, I guess it, yeah, see, it depends on your lifestyle. <laughs> I'm totally kidding, totally kidding. Um, but I can imagine that some people would say, no, my second home or my boat or whatever it is, this, I'm not getting rid of that. I have to have that, right? Yeah, I've heard my Mercedes, I can't get rid of that, when we can't even afford the gas to it. I've heard um, I've heard things about um, season tickets that you can't get rid of when still you can't pay any of the bills. I've heard um, horseback riding lessons for kids, that, that neighbor in the thousands of dollars a month. Uh, I've heard all kinds of things. Um, so they're really, you know, they're... And I understand. I, I always tell people I understand because the truth is I do understand. I have three children. I live in the same kind of area. I, you know, I there's restrictions based on you know the type of area that we live in because it's very expensive to live here in New York. Um, so I understand. I understand the pressure. There's a lot more pressure in certain areas than yeah. in other areas for uh, to to keep up and uh, you know and and just to pay certain minimum expenses. So I always understand, and I and I really do. I think that's what uh, makes me different when it comes to um, my approach with resolving debt. Is that mm -hmm. I do really un I understand all those things. There's really very little that anybody could say to me that I don't get because I do. I just think that if we you could reallocate and you start to think about things a little bit differently. The things that you consider necessities can be can be part of your budget. It's just that you have to be open-minded and flexible when it comes to dealing with your finances. It's a total give and take, isn't it? It is. And it's also, I also don't believe in that radical change where you are all of a sudden the cold turkey approach where you have, you have yanked out like all of the gluten in your diet and all of a sudden <laughs> like you can't go to any restaurant because the, everywhere you look there's gluten and yeah. it's become subliminal. It's the same thing with spending and budgeting and money management. If you, if you go uh, cold turkey on all of that, you will have a very difficult time managing it. So my approach is not the cold turkey my approach is let's take a look and see where we could where we could go slowly and what what's important to you and what's not and that changes it's different for you and it's different for me yeah your your comment reminds me of a line from uh uh last comic standing is on nbc right now you know it's one of the shows on nbc and one comic says so i just went vegan you know where you give up fish and cheese and friendship or <laughs> <laughs> meat, meat and cheese and friendship and so um I, I'm curious. I want to take everyone a step back because you went through law school. You borrowed to do so. 
right? Yes, I did. Had, yes. You had, you had I, I think in your book, you mentioned you got your degree, you had a child, uh-huh. right? That's and, true. And $80,000 in debt. Yes, I had a tremendous amount of, I really didn't understand my student loans. I know it sounds cliche that, uh, you know, somebody who I graduated from a good undergraduate program, I went into law school and I took out my student loans and I, the truth was at the time, what was the point of trying to understand them when I didn't have a choice? So I think a lot of people think the same way that why, you know, it's like clicking the box on, you know, when you want to purchase something like the terms and uh, that you agree to their terms of service, you don't have a choice. Otherwise, you can't get to the end result. That's a great analogy. And it's the same thing with the student loans. What was the point of reading the student loans when I wanted to go to law school and I had no other way to pay for it? So the difference, though, is it's not just reading the documents, it was understanding, well, which loans made the most sense for me. Hmm. And at the time, I just didn't necessarily understand. I sort of didn't, didn't, because I knew I didn't want to take out more than I needed. So in my mind, I was like, let's not take out more than I need. But I didn't realize that at the end of the three years of law school, if I didn't get a job, what kind of financial position was I going to be in? How was I going to pay it back? Then there was this, you know, I because obviously when I went into law school, I wasn't pregnant. I didn't have any children. I wasn't married. I didn't have responsibilities. But at the end of law school, lo and behold, I was getting married. A year later, I had a child. And I still didn't have a job that was paying me of any substance that could pay back these loans. So I think that was the missing piece to the whole plan. It wasn't going to law school and taking the loans. It was the, okay, now what? So I ended up with a lot of debt and I ended up paying back considerably more than I borrowed because the actual borrowed amount was around 60,000. And I ended up paying back probably between 120 and 130 just on those loans. Wow. Uh, My private student loans, I was able to negotiate, but you know, negotiating loans, the end result of negotiating a loan and getting a forgiveness of debt is that you have to take the difference in income or it has to be included in your tax return. And at the time, it became taxable to me. Some certain cases, it's not always taxable, but in my situation, it was. So that was, uh, you know, something that I was not necessarily prepared for. But the whole thing I wasn't prepared for. So it just happened that years and years of grinding and working like everybody does, and I had my head down, focused on, then I had three children building my practice and everything else. And one day, my accountant came to me and he said, why don't you pay off those student loans? (laughs) I said, what? He said, yeah, you have the money to do it. I never even thought about it because one of the things that I feel very strongly about is I don't count the money in the bank because Hmm. it's about... It's, it's not really about that. I think when you're out of debt and you, and I know this for a fact, when you're out of debt, you stop counting the money in the bank. When you're in debt and you can't pay the bills, you're, you count every single penny. Hmm. And my, my goal was not thinking about the money. It was my head was down working as hard as I could. And one day I was able to pay it off. Um, and, but it was many years later. It wasn't like it was just you know, all of a sudden, two years later, three years later, sure. it was, um, you know, 10 years post graduating from law school. So it took some time. But that's my story with that. And you remember your payment specifically, right? Do you still remember? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah nine twenty three thirty one. I should play those lottery. <laughs> I, should, I really should play the lottery on that. And I should because it's a it would be so incredible if I hit the lottery on my student loan payment amount. That would and be Sally May and I are like, you know, I used to tell people Sally and I, Sally May and I are like the best of friends. Oh yeah, 
She's the cousin that just won't leave your house, right? She is. She's yeah. the aunt sitting at the table who just doesn't want to stop talking to you. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, you're full of great analogies. Um, so I'm curious, does your experience in that make you better prepared for your, your role in what you do now, helping people get out of debt or figure out their debts? Um, I think it does. I think I, I know that it adds the empathetic piece to it, and there's a very big difference between um, being able to help people through situations that are difficult because I learned it versus experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And the experience piece is the emotional piece. And when people are in debt and they're having difficulty paying their bills or they're trying to figure out financial-related matters, it's very stressful and it's very emotional. Mm -hmm. And I think when you don't go through something like that, the un the understanding of the emotional piece is very difficult because you can, yes, you know, blindly I can help people resolve their debt. You know, I can do it like a machine. I mean, I could do it in my sleep at this, obviously at this point. But, you know, when I sit with a client and they explain to me and they're talking to me, I had a woman in yesterday getting divorced, two kids, very difficult financial situation. She's very reliant on what is soon to be an ex-husband who's still living in the house you know, having to beg for money to buy for food or other things, you know, there's there's really an understanding there that I have of the days when my, when my kids were little, one I was, there was a time when I got divorced also, and so all of that makes me, you know, when I sit there and I, and I can hear her and I understand and I can make comments that really are very relatable, mm -hmm. and the relatability piece is very helpful in getting my clients from point A to point B. Uh, because it's really not, it's not a machine. We're not just a company. Mm -hmm. We are real people with real feelings and we have clients with, who are real people with real feelings in real life scenarios. And, you know, I, I read a lot of different um, pieces of advice out there from other other debt related specialists. And sometimes what I'm missing in, when I read those um, pieces of advice is the human piece. The I was, I've been there, I've done that yep. and I understand and I know what it takes to be in it and get out of it. And, you know, I know that it's not an easy road. So that is, I can give the advice, but it's the other pieces that help people get really get through it. It's the support piece. Yeah. So well, your book title is Life and Debt. Um, it's Learn to Love Your Debt, right? Is what you have at the very top of your book. How do, I'm, I'm a guy who I've, uh, my story was my wife and I at 25, by the time we were 25, we'd lived for two years on one income. And the other income went to blast away all of our debt. So by 25, we were debt free. That's great. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And your first two, what, what you said you love about your life are freedom and flexibility. And those are my two core values and why I do what I do today. And the whole build a bigger life mind, mindset is, you know, minimize your expenses, maximize your life, build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. So how do, how do you love your debt? What, what do you tell people? How do they do that? Well, you can. I mean, I, I love my debt. I mean, I, I own a home, so I love my home very much. And so the debt, you know, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to buy the home that I have that my children, you know, are living in and my family is in. And so that's debt. And, you know, I have a car loan. I mean, it's a lease, but it's still, it's still a debt. So that's something that I embrace. And, you know, the other debts that people have that are impactful are, yeah, you have credit cards, I have credit cards, and I use them, I pay them, I'm very mindful, and that's the difference with loving your debt, I'm very mindful mm. of it, 
And it's, it's, you know, I, again, I, I'm, I'm, I do love the analogy thing because it does make it a little easier. So being very mindful of your debt, it's like being in a relationship. Yes, you can just be with somebody to be with somebody. But <laughs> the same thing with debt, you can just have a lot of debt. You can drive a car, you can buy a house, you can have all these things. But they become a burden if you can't manage them. And yeah. it's like anything else. So when you're going to buy the house and you're going to buy the car, there's always bigger and better. You know that. There's yeah. always bigger and better and what other people have. And, and there's always this desire, especially at certain ages in your late 20s into the 30s where you're trying to build bigger and better. And then when you get into your 40s, you're like, okay. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> so now you start thinking about downsizing. and But it's about understanding that your debt is a part of your life. And yeah. it really is. And I sometimes people say to me, I have no debt. And, and you know what? If you can live completely debt-free where you don't owe anybody, even taxes and other things, because the reality is at some point you're going to owe somebody something. You have to pay taxes. So even that is something to appreciate. You know, yes, I pay taxes. As my accountant always says, I have good news and bad news. And the good news is that you made money, and the bad news is that you have to pay taxes. So, you know, if you can look at the glass half empty or glass half full, and I'm a very half full, positive type of person. So to me, debt is a part of life, and you really yeah. can't get around it. And the average person, the average American, cannot get away from debt. So since you really can't get away from it, you might as well learn to like it, make friends with it, live with it, even love it, make it work for you. And once it's working for you, then you can have a totally different lifestyle. Hmm. Uh, it's so funny. I love that analogy that it's like a relationship. So you can either be in a relationship or you can be in a really abusive, bad relationship that occasionally you feel good, but most of the time it feels horrible, right? So, well, you could be in a great one where you get such wonderful things out of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> such a cool analogy. Um, so uh, tell me about what you teach your kids. You have three kids who are teenage, you said teenage age? Yeah, I have a daughter who's 17 who's, gonna, who's going to college next year. She's looking at schools now. Oh, my goodness. She's actually in Virginia looking at schools. And we talk, you know... And the other two had just turned 15, so they're all around the same age. But I always have age-appropriate discussions with them from budgeting. Here's a great example. My son is in camp. So he says to me, Mom, I really need some extra money. So I said, okay. So here I gave him a set dollar amount, and I said to him, um, you're there for five more days. Make sure that it's that you budget it. Here's how you should budget it per day because I want you to have money when you get to the airport and this is how you need to do it. So that is a very fair thing to say to a 15-year-old. Yeah. Uh, my 17-year-old took courses at a college this summer. So she calls me up and she says, Mom, there's something wrong with my bank account. I said, what's the matter? She says, there's only $16 left. <laughs> I said, how can that be? She goes, I think something happened. So I said to her, she's 17 and a half years old. I said to her, call the bank. Call the bank and ask the bank what what happened with your account. She has to learn. She's 17. She's going to go to college next year. So yeah. yeah, could I have just done it for her? Of course. So she calls the bank. She called me back and she said, well, you know, I, I guess, you know, I, I spent more than I realized I spent. <laughs> I said, I said, yes, and you have a week to go away. So unless you want to budget $16 for the next week, I suggest you return some of the things that you purchase that are returnable so that you now have created more money for your budget for the next week because I'm not giving you any more money. And so, yeah, again, could I have given her a little extra more money? Could I have enabled her to, you know, to have, 
you know, but it was such a great lesson. She didn't realize what she spent. She thought her account was hacked. She had to call the bank. She returned it to get money. I mean, think about all the oh lessons that I that you could teach no your kids at every age. And and honestly, these are things you can teach at at 10 and 12 and 15, 18. And I have clients who are enabling 40-year-olds. It's the same thing where they're giving their, you know, money to to even adult children and they're not setting boundaries. Yes. So and boundaries can exist even at two and four years old. So when my kids were little and we used to like go to the store or I would take them to see like Sesame Street Live or something like that, I never offered them anything to buy. So like when my kids go to events, they don't even see all that spinning lights and stuff because I was right. like, oh, would you like this? Would you like that? We went in, we sat down at our seats and that was it. So they sort of were conditioned not yeah. to like ask me for things. And the same thing when it comes to like – when they were little and we would go to a store and they want like the latest and greatest and I would say, okay, well, your birthday's coming up or we can wait for the holidays, but we don't just buy something because we want it. And I see that when I'm in a store so often, these kids like you're standing online and they're having like a fit and they're throwing themselves on the ground and because they, yes. they want something that you took away. And then like I see the mom or the dad roll their eyes and then just put it on the conveyor belt. And right. I'm like, what are you doing? Right. You are <laughs> enabling this. And it's enabling bad financial habits. It's yeah. not just enabling bad behavior because yeah. that's a whole – That's I'm not a psychologist. But it's enabling bad financial habits because it's not talking to them at, at age appropriate – at ages where you could say, you know, what this really means. Yeah. So I think you can at any age. I think children should understand the value of money. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how little money you have. I don't think you should be sharing what you make. Things, you know, There are certain things that are not age appropriate at all and that children can't really understand. They shouldn't be helping you budget. But you can talk to them that use terms like budgeting. You could use terms like what a credit card means. You know, that you go to work, and when you go to work, somebody pays you to do something, and that's how you get money to pay for things, and that not always is it easy to buy what they're asking for. So, and you can just use different terms. It's so important. It really uh, is. The teachable moments, yeah, that most people miss are crazy. You yeah. me you mentioned you're not a psychologist, right? But, but I got to believe that some of the conversations you have around money, someone's lack of money, or their they're, uh, you know, as your book suggests, maybe uh, uh, an exorbitant amount of debt that maybe they're trying to pay back. There is a psych psychological aspect to it, don't you think? I mean, the, I, the yes, reason I they're totally doing agree. that. Yeah. So what, what's your what's your take on that? I, I am a closet psychologist. I have no degree in psychology, so I can't be practicing and giving psychological advice, but I, I find the human mind and behavior so fascinating. I mean, I even subscribe to psychology today. I find it so interesting why people do what they do and how they think. And, you know, it's to me, it's it, it's a huge part of what goes on here. Yeah. And uh, actually, today we're doing a, a training session this afternoon with all of my staff and trying to understand the psychology of dealing with our clients and potential clients and other things because there is a huge element of psychology here. Mm -hmm. And it is sometimes it's how somebody was raised and, the, and some of their values. Um, and those are very difficult things to change as adults. You know, you know, when you come to me and you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s or even 70s, you are a you're a complete person, and your values are there. And there, it's very difficult to change what's what's become so habitual. And the spending on credit cards is a habit. Mm -hmm. And what I teach people is the breaking of that habit. 
that by not relying on it, people feel you have to have a credit card to do so many different things in this world, and the reality is you really don't, and you can live without credit cards. You are conditioned by advertisers, by everything that's gone on around us, that you can't live without this credit card, and I call it the most the greatest marketing success out there, which is credit card marketing, that people really believe that they can't live without them. Yeah. But you can. And you can get you can rent cars, you can do all kinds of other things that you believe you couldn't do without one. But it's the change of the in the mind. And all of that is psychological. And so understanding, you know, how people get to that point and what would make them ch- make changes in their mind is the psychology of what I do. Yeah. Oh, it's so fascinating to me. You and I are kind of birds of a feather too. Psychology today, I'm a big fan of, and I'm, I'm I consider myself a dime store psychologist in the same realm. I was a um, the owner of a mortgage company for three years, and one of the clients that came in wanted to refinance all of their debt into their home, and it was a couple making maybe seventy thousand dollars a year, and they had seventy thousand dollars in credit card debt, and you know very clearly not able to to make payments on any of the stuff they had, and when I asked them what got to, got you to this point? And uh, the husband looked at the wife and she looked at him and she had a little tear in her eye and she said, I think we're just guilty of loving our children too much. Uh, I've heard that. And I said, I said, <laughs> I've heard that. I said, what do you mean? And she said, when my daughter's car was about to get repossessed, we gave her money to get it paid back. When the other daughter found out, she was a month behind on her mortgage, so we had to pay, you know, cover that. Our son got a DUI. We covered his lawyer bills, and it just snowballed from there. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, the parents end up paying for it. And I have clients who are in there, uh, who've retired and are in those situations where they're helping their adult children, and they end up being in these horrible situations where they can't live on their fixed income anymore yeah. because they've used money to pay for their kids. And I say, you have to sit your children down and say, there's only so much we can do. We can, we love you very much, but love and money are are not the same thing. Giving money doesn't mean that you love somebody. Yeah, you know, being supportive and saying, "Let me help you budget. Let me give you the life and debt book, <laughs> or let me let me help you budget and figure out where you can." Because paying somebody's car that's being repossessed, paying a mortgage payment for somebody, even refinancing, which I call a band aid over a dam, it's, yeah. it's not something I'm a fan of at all. <laughs> Because I, I want, what I want to do is use people's budgets to help them get out of debt. So the person who's behind on their mortgage, the person who's getting their car repossessed and can't pay their bills, the issue is not somebody coming in and saving the day that one month. The issue is a cash flow problem. And if you can figure out where the cash flow problem is, you can help that person get where they need to be. So mm-hmm. sitting down with those children and saying to them, let's figure out why your car is repossessed. Maybe you overextended yourself. We're figuring out why you, your do- other daughter can't pay their mortgage payment. Look at their budget. That's helping them. That's loving them. That's truly loving them because you're giving them a skill. You're helping them see what the issues are. Giving them money did nothing more than enable the the problem yeah. and then cause these other people to get into debt. So we're all guilty of loving our children. You know, we, we can say that from today until tomorrow. We all love our children. We really do. And we go out of of our way to help them but one of the best ways to help your children your parents your siblings anybody else in your life that you love and care about is to give them tools so they can be independent and they could have the freedom and flexibility that comes with not being burdened with debt and financial issues yeah totally your uh, your comment about 
I love you, sitting sitting down your children and saying, I love you, but you're 50 and I'm not giving you money anymore. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Yeah, you can see how- that at 50 and 15 and my, and they, and yes, and at the same, the same, it's still your child, the same child, 50 or 15, will roll their eyes and potentially like, you know, slam a door. So those are the consequences. But yeah. my role in this world is to raise my children and be there to love them and support them. But I, I can't enable them financially like that because there's going to come a point in my life mm-hmm. where I have to take care of me and there may be a point when I'm either retired or income, is, income changes where I can't. And I know saying no is so hard for people, but what that does is cause health problems for the person who can't say no because what ends up happening, and I'm not a doctor either, either but they come in and they can't sleep. They're right. arguing with their spouse. They have back problems, headache problems. They're sick. Then they're out of work. I mean, so many issues that, that come with stress related to debt. Yeah. And when they get burdened, now the kids are burdened and the parents are burdened. The stress piece is so damaging. Uh, it's so true and so misunderstood. I have a, a question follow up to that. Given that you're preparing your kids and it sounds like they're, they're probably uh, – very financially astute or well on their way at this point. What do you tell families who are looking at college for their kids have no option but to borrow and it's exorbitant amounts. Let's say they're looking at a private school and it's 50 or $60,000 a year. What do you tell families like that? Or, or are they in front well, of you? I actually have one. I have, I have one that came to me. There's, there's no money there at all. And they had, the, the kid had two choices, a state school, which would have cost them 1500 bucks, or a, uh, a private college, which is costing them 10000 They They took, sent the kid to the private college. And most of the courses that this kid is taking would, would really be fall under the category of the 13th grade. So there are people, there are people who, well, it, it, it is true. I mean, yeah. I try to be, again, I try to be realistic about that kind of stuff too. So there are people who, for a lot of different reasons, want their kid to go to a particular school mm-hmm. and they will let, the, they either living vicariously through that kid or they don't want to say no to their child. There's so many different reasons. Those people, I honestly can't help because they're just not going to be focused. They will come to me in very serious debt at some point, and then I will have to help them when they get to that point. The preventative piece is being realistic about the schools, and it's the same thing I tell my daughter who's out looking at schools right now while I'm working. And I say, these are great schools that you're considering, and I'd love you to go there, but we have to think of the financial piece. I have a budget. This is what my budget is. And... You need to get find hopefully academic money because for undergraduate personally I'm not willing to take out loans for undergraduate school because I want her to go to graduate school so I'm not willing to burden myself with loans for an undergraduate program but when there's very good options I mean we live in New York and there are terrific state school options and there, yeah. every state has great state options. So being realistic about it ahead of time, and I started this conversation not this year when she's going to be a senior. This conversation has been going on for the last three to four years where we talk about that there's a budget when it comes to college. Don't fall in love. I mean, we looked at a school. She loved it, and I said to her, you know, you – I said, she said, what, did you, what do you think? I said, it's, I, said I think it's great, but let's not, let's not fall in love with it. Let's keep it as an option and let's see what the package is when it comes to, to us yeah. and then we can make a better decision. But if I tell my daughter that, yes, this is great, this is wonderful, it's terrific, let's run to the bookstore and buy sweatshirts and hats and everything else because <laughs> this is where we're going. I mean, I want her to go there, don't get me wrong, but 
do I think that she will, her life will change dramatically if she went there versus, you know, another program that's offering it at a much more reasonable amount? No, because I think it's what you do at college right. and it's what you do with the education that you get and it's what you do after you graduate from college. And you can be a shining star anywhere. It just doesn't have to cost you that kind of money to do it. So true. We, um, I don't know if you're, you're aware of this or familiar with it. We crowdfunded a documentary project last year on student loan debt. And the documentary is almost done. It'll come out here in the next few weeks. Cool. Um, but, but I've been telling people for years now, it is a business decision. And if you are planning on grad school, it does not matter where that undergrad comes from. Nope. Doesn't. Because um, no one will ever read it. They'll read where your grad school is and you know, go from there. So, right. It, it really doesn't matter. And it's what you do at those schools. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you can create your opportunities. And I mean, I went to a state program. My brother went to a state program. He's now an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, you know, there's so many, so many success stories coming from the state programs. And, you know, are some of the other schools prettier? I mean, the, my undergraduate was SUNY Albany, and everybody knows as much as I loved Albany, it's not the prettiest school out there for sure. <laughs> but, there are other schools that are much prettier, but yeah. I was going to law school. So in the end, my undergraduate was what it was. And uh, it got me where I wanted to go because I knew that I would have these additional burdens later on. So why burden yourself? And yeah. then and then, and then, then turn around and blame the system. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's always my favorite. The system, because, you know, why should, why should I have to pay my student loans back? They shouldn't even cost this much to go there. But you have a choice, and that's the beauty of, again, flexibility and freedom and this country, that you can go anywhere you want. You can make things happen for yourself. You just have to be open to it, and you have to be – it's the mindset. It's keeping an open mind about what opportunities exist for you, and there's lots of them. Amen. Amen to that. I have four rapid-fire questions for you. Sure. Are you ready? Yeah. The number of collection calls you've received in your lifetime. Me personally yeah. or on behalf of my clients? <laughs> well, probably more on that front, right? Oh, on behalf of my clients, probably into the you know millions. Is that but right? Do they call you directly, your office? They do. They all, Once you become a client in my office, we take all the calls. So wow. they all come to us. So we, re, we uh, redirect those calls to us. So we, I mean, we have a whole dedicated staff that just deals with the creditors. Cool, cool. Um, the number of young person bankruptcies you've seen, young person being in the, you know, b uh, below 30, let's say. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, I don't I don't file bankruptcies in my office, but when I see or hear that, um, that is something is something is not right at all. That is not right. And, and, and I have a very, ethics are very important to me and one of the things that I feel very strongly about why I don't practice bankruptcy, even though I'm admitted in federal court to do so, uh, I don't practice bankruptcy because my practice is helping people avoid bankruptcy. And I, I do recommend bankruptcy under certain circumstances. Uh, when you are very young like that and you're looking at 10 or 15 grand worth of debt, absolutely that is so avoidable and not just not what I would do in my 20s to... Mm -hmm burden myself with a bankruptcy card like that it follows you for 10 years or more. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a shame uh, when I see it or hear it. And I had somebody actually at one of my book signings come to me and said, you know, I was going to file bankruptcy and my friend recommended that I come see you. And she was in her twenties. And I said, Oh my, you know, what are you thinking? And what kind of advice are you getting? <laughs> no, don't file bankruptcy. One, you know, as a general rule, you can't bankrupt out student loans. So if you take the student loan piece out of it and you got yourself jammed with credit cards, 
you know, nine ti- 95 out of 100 chances I can fix that. So there's there are options. So no, not when you're very young. Yeah. Please. And not when you have a little bit of debt. Yeah. There, then it's just a budgeting issue, right? It's either budgeting or mindset or how, how are you going to make extra money to make can, ends meet? You can fix that like 20000 or less. I mean, yeah. that depends where we broadcast to because all different parts of the country, you know, different numbers. But, sure. you know, here in uh, 20000 or less, 30000 or less, absolutely not. Yeah. Totally manageable. We just, um, I just interviewed a kid who, who paid off $30,000 of student loans in eight months using TaskRabbit.com in New York. So really? he got on TaskRabbit. He found jobs for $75 here and there. And every dime he made, he sent to his student loans and Good for him. knocked it out. So, yeah. He should be proud of himself. Yeah. Number, see if you're motivated when there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. Number of repeat offenders you see in your office. Uh-huh. I do. I do. We do have some recidivists. Okay. So uh, uh, the, the numbers are low, but we do, we do have some. Or we have, oh, by the way, I have more debt before they're finished with the program. Uh-huh. Um, we try to keep that low, but we do, we do, we do, and we have seen that. Yeah. Any any clients? Number of clients that you fired? Yes. Oh yes. Oh yeah. We have um, we have um, ended the relationship with people for a number of reasons. One uh, is that they don't make their payments, um, and two is that they're just unreasonable, absolutely unreasonable. And they are so angry and upset about what's gone on in their life that they just want to, you know, blame us. And when that starts to happen, we know that the relationship is going south. Hmm. So, yes. So we have terminated relationships with clients when it's not in both of our best interests to continue. But we really do try to make the relationship work as best we can. But there are times when, you know, certain situations are not workable. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What, um, thank you for sharing all that too, Leslie. Sure. I appreciate that. What are three books that you'd recommend right now? You know, that it's interesting you say that because, and I could, I could name books that, that I read a lot of books that are related. I like a lot of variety of books. So one, I'm reading a sales book. I like the uh, Anthony Robbins books. Uh, um, I love anything that's self-help related that helps you get into your mind, mm-hmm. that helps you focus your life. So if you find a book that's out there, uh, I mean, I love, I'm a huge fan of Brian Weiss and uh, Dr. Brian Weiss and, and his uh, some of his theories. Um, but the books that really help you um, get into your mind and help you refocus your life and work on your soul uh, and, and energy where you know you change your attitude and you're, you're very positive. Anything that does that for you mm-hmm. is something you should read because there are and there's a lot of books out there. A lot of credible people have written some wonderful books that help you focus on help you focus your life and your mindset. And once you change your mindset, you start to see things as the glass is half full and you start to go into things with positive energy and positive thought process. Anything can change. So I am a huge fan of any of those type of books. And, and the authors that I mentioned, um, you can even go to the Hay House and, again, Anthony Robbins. And there's yeah. so many of them that are just terrific. Very cool. Have you heard of the book, A Happy Pocket Full of Money? No, I have not. You would love it. You would love okay. it. It's right along your what you're discussing is exactly uh, – the description of this book, A Happy Pocket Full of Money by David Jacondi. 
And um, of course, the book I recommend the most is mine, Life and Debt. Yeah, well, that that will definitely make it in our show notes for sure, Life and Debt. Um, and it is a it's a fantastic read, Leslie. I flipped through it uh, last night and this morning, and um, it's written very simply. the The layout's awesome for anyone who wants to know, you know, how to improve credit, how to um, understand what they're being scored on, and what kind of debt they're taking on. It yeah, is a great book. The understanding piece is what I was focusing on in a, in a lot of those sections because so many people come to me and they really don't understand. Even my brightest clients who are so well-educated yeah. don't understand the terminology and don't understand what it means to get a credit report, read a re- credit report, what affects the credit report. And there's so much information that's really out there and yeah. it's overwhelming and confusing. And frankly, like the debt topic is kind of boring. And it's not exactly <laughs> one of these topics that it is. I mean, it's not... I I'm very passionate about it, but but the majority of people find debt, money, and, and yeah. budgeting incredibly boring yeah. and mundane. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not sexy at all. But I've tried to kind of pull out the things that are the most important things that will help you understand it enough that it works for you. Yeah, I love the back uh, appendix where you've got some sample credit reports because I find those to be challenging for most people to read. They pull something oh, they off are. the line, and then you, you know, what do you, how do you read it? Um, yeah, I see them too sometimes. And one came in yesterday and I'm like, oh, credit report. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good. Where where can people find more about you and the book and, and your services? Well, at uh, tainlaw.com. We have a bunch of different websites, but T-A-Y-N-E-L-A-W.com. And of course, if you Google Leslie Tain, um, there's tons of stuff. There's a, I have a website on Leslie Tain and the book, lifeanddebtbook.com is out there too. And um, again, if you Google life and debt book, you will find the book and everything else. It's on Amazon, of course. Um, And so there's tons of information about me and the business and the company and and how we can help you and the book. Cool. And of course, everything we do, you know, one of the things that we do that I'm very proud of is that I talk to anybody and anybody over the phone for free. So if you want to call up, you have a debt problem and you want to talk about it, you can... No, it's it's important to get the it's important to get really good advice. Yeah. Uh, I hear one of the things I do hear about in my practice is a lot of bad advice, a lot of bad information, a lot of fly by night companies, and the information that's out there is just incorrect at times. So um, one of so important to me to help people in, at least in the right direction, even if it's even if it's a place I can't help them. Yeah, everybody's got a, a, a credit um, guru brother-in-law, don't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I read about this or I heard on the radio. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so you will work with clients from all over? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we will. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, we do. We have clients all over and different, tons of different places. That's great. There is nothing in my mind uh, that will get you to building a bigger life faster than getting your debt under control, understanding how to manage your money and all of that. Highly encourage you to reach out to Leslie and her team at tainlaw.com, T-A-Y-N-E-L-A-W.com. And the book is called Life and Debt. It's lifeanddebtbook.com is where you can find that. Um, Last question for you, Leslie. What does building a bigger life mean to you? Uh, At this point, building a bigger life is creating, uh, you know, from a financial perspective, of security. So what I'm, what I have my own goals now in terms of uh, money, uh, money, you know, paying off those mortgages and, um, you know, building, putting money away in the bank, a certain dollar amount. I have a goal in my, in my mind for me, and putting myself in a position that um, that there's that there's comfort as time goes on, and that I'm able to um, uh, to live comfortably. 
So um, I'm building my, my business is always growing and we're looking for always opportunities to build it and grow it. Um, but for me, building a bigger life is about um, making my life more manageable and um, not necessarily taking on more things, but also creating security. And um, financially, there are ways to create security um, so that my life can be at a place where I have the freedom and flexibility to do the things that I want to do. Love it. I love it. And that's what it's all about. Um, this is a great conversation. And I'm, I love your analogies. I could probably sit and listen to you create analogies all day long. So you're amazing. Thanks, Thanks for spending time, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Talk soon. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Build a Bigger Life podcast with Adam Carroll. If you liked what you heard on the podcast today, help spread the message of a bigger life by leaving a review and subscribing on iTunes. Our show today was sponsored by ShredMyMortgage.com, the fastest debt elimination tool on the planet. Hundreds of people, including podcast listener Brady B., blasted away all of his student loan debt, his car loans, and is now working on paying off his house using only the software and the income he was already making. Check out ShredMyMortgage.com for a free analysis. Follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Carroll. Download a copy of the Build a Bigger Life blueprint at BuildABiggerLife.com. And check out Adam's TEDx talk on YouTube. Until next week, may you build a bigger life.